Let's take a look at the, the book of Ruth. If you can, open up your Bibles, turn to Ruth chapter 2, and we're going to continue in our sermon series, They Asked for a King. Asked for a King, and I'm not sure which, uh, which portion this is, number 5, 6, 7, 10, I can't remember, number 7. <laughs> the, uh, the theme is, uh, is going to be an ongoing theme because we're going to be not only looking at the gospel, the gospel through the book of Ruth, but we're also going to be looking at... Um, we're going to be looking at First uh, Samuel and seeing how David emerges as the king that God chooses. And uh, we're going to look in David's life at some of the characteristics of, uh, of a king that uh, I think grip our attention and make us yearn for our own king, our own Messiah. Now, we're not talking about King Charles. We're not talking about an earthly king. We're looking for a heavenly king. Uh, but it's good for us to understand who that king is. He is already and who he will be when he returns, but who we are to be as his loyal followers, as his ambassadors in the world. If we understand these things, it will help us and shape us as we become ambassadors for Christ in our very own communities. The long and short of it is that my hope is you will become empowered and continue to be empowered to carry the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. And, uh, and so that's why we're studying these things. So this is the very beginning of it all in the book of Ruth. We're seeing the origins of King David, of course. But, uh, but in there, we've, we're discovering some beautiful things about the nature of the covenant of God, the kind of covenant commitment that he wants us to have. And as uh, uh, just a reminder, the one word, the Hebrew word that's really important for you guys just to, just to have memorized is this word chesed, which means uh, covenant loyalty. And, uh, and it's what we see demonstrated in, in this passage, in this book, book of Ruth, particularly in those, those immortal words of Ruth that she says to Naomi, wherever you go, that's where I'll go. Wherever you stay, that's where I'll stay. In fact, as a matter of fact, let's just read those words out of chapter 1, if we can. Here it is, Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. These words are the words of covenant. They're the words of a covenant loyalty, which Ruth is showing to Naomi, and they are profound words. They are perhaps the most memorized words out of the book of Ruth. Most people, if they've not read Ruth as a study, they certainly recognize those words. You've heard them at weddings before. Uh, you've heard those words in many contexts, no doubt. But they are profound words of covenant loyalty. I want you to hold your hand in the book of Ruth, and I want you to turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 19. And I want to read to you a parable that Jesus gave. Well, no, it's not actually a parable. It's a, it's a story of an actual occurrence. Verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? What good deed must I do to have eternal life? It's an excellent question. It talks about doing it doesn't address the heart, but Jesus is going to address that. As it turns out, the, uh, the nature of our religion, of religion in general, is that we seek the favor of a deity through our actions. 
And this passage of scripture is profoundly important as we consider what it's going to mean to be an ambassador of the King of Kings. This young man is wealthy, and uh, we'll discover that. And he seems to be willing to do whatever the Lord is going to ask him to do. But Jesus isn't going to ask him what he's expecting. So let's carry on. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? Which ones? Interesting. Uh, qualifying questions. So what good deed must I do? Suggests not many deeds, but one deed, right? It's a, it's a singular. What good thing? There's one, I'm sure there's one special thing I've got to do to have eternal life. I can do that. Just tell me the one special thing. And then... Obey the commandments, keep the commandments. Which commandments? Can we, can we narrow it down? There's a, there's a lawyer in each one of us, I think, uh, always looking for the loopholes, right? And uh, this young man is no different. Which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Where do those come from? Anybody know? Ten well, they're the Ten Commandments, plus one, right? Ten Commandments plus one, and um, but but uh, they come from uh, from Sinai, from the uh, when when the Lord met with His people uh, after He brought them out of Egypt. Now, those of you who are not familiar with the Old Testament story, you can read about it in the Book of Exodus. Uh, it's quite a profound story. It happened some thirty five hundred years ago, and uh, maybe a little bit more. And um, and the story, I, I'm not going to tell you that whole story now, but. But the, the beauty of that story is that God set a people free out of slavery and he brought them into a wilderness where he made a nation out of them. But more than that, he actually invited them to be his special people, his chosen people, his chosen generation, a royal priesthood, as it were. The image, the images all fall short. And so there's actually one relationship which is probably the most uh, the closest thing we have in, in our human relationships to relate to what God was doing at Sinai with the children of Israel. It's a marriage. It's a marriage. God actually marries the people of Israel at Sinai, and he offers them a covenant. And the covenant has, it has certain stipulations, but the stipulations are not... Uh, look, it's, it's, it's not to be seen in this light of, uh, of some... Uh, capricious or vindictive or, or, or just uh, some bizarre God who makes up rules on the fly. No, this is God entering into a personal relationship, more than that, a marriage relationship with his people. And he says, if you want to be married to me, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I mean, if, you, if you're going to engage in that kind, I mean, listen, even those of you who go on dating apps, okay, you, you put on your dating app, a little bit about who you are. And, and when you go to the dating app, you go and have a look at who the other person is. And I've never been on a dating app in my life. Never needed to do that, actually. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm so grateful. <laughs> Tammy's... <laughs> the, um, indeed. 32 years of beautiful, wonderful marriage. It's been absolute bliss. Uh, it's been bliss for her, right? No, it's been bliss for me. And, uh, anyway, I'm going to stop talking now. It's been bliss for both of us. 32 years of gorgeous, wonderful, amazing marriage, and I thank God I've never had to look anywhere else. But I'm told <laughs> that uh, the dating apps are the way. And uh, if, if, uh, if you don't have a significant person in your life, that there's a possibility you might find them on a dating app. 
We have many friends who came together that way. But on the dating app, you would certainly have a profile. And God, God is, is, uh, he, he introduces himself to his people at Sinai. Now, they've known about God through Abraham. They've known about God through Isaac. They've known about God through Jacob. And they've known about him through the testimony handed down from their fathers. But they needed to meet God themselves. And so he brought them out into the wilderness, and he revealed himself. He revealed himself as a God of power. Uh, I mean, he, he was the rescuer, right? He rescued them from, from Pharaoh, from wicked, adulterous Pharaoh. I mean, adulterous because he was serving foreign gods. He rescued them from their master, he set them free. He gave them a rebirth through, the, uh, through this, the, the Red Sea. And he brought them out into the wilderness where he showed them his tenderness and his love. In a place where there was nothing, no water, no food, he provided for them. To show them that he was capable of providing. I mean, surely when you're looking at a potential, uh, let's just, let's say you've got a young woman looking for a potential suitor. The suitor needs to show that he is strong, capable, that he is interested, that he is able to provide, that he is uh, not intimidated by, by their flaws. I mean, even at Sinai, we, we, Teela was telling me about her podcast this morning. She's saying this guy was going on about how God even forgave the people. They're murmuring, they're complaining, and so forth. He, he had grace and compassion on them, just like you would want to have in a relationship with somebody like, oh my gosh, we're not perfect people. Is that person going to freak out when they discover that I'm not perfect? Well, God is gracious and merciful. This is how he reveals himself, isn't it? And so in this relationship with them, he reveals what it's going to take to be in long-standing relationship with him. He says he basically gives them a bunch of, of rules, but that's the wrong way for us to see it as just rules and regulations. Basically, he's saying, listen, if you want to be married to me, you can't murder people. I mean, that's pretty standard, straightforward stuff, isn't it? I mean, dating profile. <laughs> Thou shalt not murder. Check. Listen, you shall not commit adultery with one another and, and, and violate one another. If you're going to be my special people, you've got to have love and compassion. You've got to be able to see the other person as more important to you, uh, more important than you. You've got to recognize that that person is my child also. So when it comes to widows and orphans, I want you to take care of these people. I want, you to have, I want you to have place in your heart for sharing your wealth with people who have less than you. Because that's a part of how we're going to live well together. I am like that. So this is what God is saying. He's saying, I am like this. When you come to me and you want to be a part of me, you must recognize that I am a God gracious and merciful. I'm going to be looking to show compassion, even on those who are guilty, if they repent. And so this is the beginning of the demonstration of the kind of culture, the kingdom culture that God wants to have, where he is our king, but also our husband. Does that make sense? And so Jesus quotes these laws back to this young man. He said, when he says, well, what, what, what commandments must I do? Well, Jesus says, well, if you want to have eternal life, you're, kind of, you're asking all the wrong questions. You're asking the sort of the legal version of this. You're asking, what one thing must I do? What, what laws must I abide by in order to have? It's like, it's like saying, okay, at 6 o'clock your dinner will be ready. At 7 o'clock we'll have a little glass of port, maybe some slippers, and, uh, and, a, and a cigar uh, for you, sir. And, uh, and then uh, we'll have the fire going for you and we can flip on your favorite TV show. At 9 o'clock we'll turn down the bed covers for you and you can go to bed. And at 7 o'clock in the morning your eggs and bacon will be ready. 
In the meantime, if you're looking for us, we've got other things to do. That's not a marriage. No, that, that would maybe be hotel service, room service, or I don't know, maybe a nursing home. Cigars and ports included, right? <laughs> That's not a marriage. And this young man is asking about relationship that is not related to love, but it's related to law. You understand? He's very Western, this guy, actually, wouldn't you say? He's not looking at it from a relational standpoint. So Jesus says, well, what commandments? <laughs> well, obviously, the commandments of Sinai, which you should know, young man, since you're a good Jew, were the marriage proposal from on high. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. That one's a big one. God loves that. I mean, I think you ought to have that on your, on your online, you know, your... your I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop. <laughs> Honors parents. Check. Yeah. Young ladies, if the young man does not honor his parents, stay very, very far away from that guy. Very, very far. Just saying. Unless, of course, the parents are really reprobate. So I suppose they could be. Okay, I'm going to stop. <laughs> And love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? What do I... Huh. Well, it seems to me like you lack the point. But what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. That sounds bizarre, doesn't it? It sounds like Jesus is making a really bad decision here. I mean, he's got a young man who's got a lot of potential. This is a wealthy guy. This is an influential guy. Surely you want this guy on your team. I mean, make this guy in charge of your social media or something. You know, put him out there to, to tell the world about He's got the resources. He's got the drive. He's ready to go. And Jesus is like, mm, no, go sell all you have. Give it away. Go sell the very things that make you feel like you're special. Give it away and then come and follow me. What is Jesus doing? That doesn't sound very smart. Well, we're going to find out today that it's a lot deeper than what you think. Give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Wrong question. But still, fair question. <laughs> Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sister or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. 
Would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, please? Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. The context is the creation of man and woman. God has made a helpmeet for Adam and has presented the bride to the bridegroom. Interesting. Verse 23, then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Woman, because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. You can stop there. The rest of it has to do with nakedness and you don't want to read about that now. <laughs> therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. I want you to notice the I want you to notice the common theme here. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. Jesus says to the rich young ruler, he says, go sell all you have, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. Then his disciples say, but Lord, we've followed you. What's, what's in it for us? And Jesus said, whoever leaves father, mother, lands, brothers, sisters, etc., for my name's sake. What are we, what are we seeing here? What are we seeing here? Go back to Ruth chapter Ruth chapter 1. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. What are we seeing here? This is interesting because this is a woman saying this to uh, her mother-in-law. This is a widow saying this to her mother-in-law. It's not even a woman saying it to a man or a man saying it to a woman. There is a covenant connectedness between these two people that is akin to the commitment made in marriage, only not, it's obviously not a sexual thing. What we have here is a firm commitment of loyalty until death to us part even. Where you die, that's where I'm going to die, and that's where I'm going to be buried, is what she says. I am making a commitment to this. This is, as it turns out, what the... The chesed, the, 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 the loyalty, the covenant loyalty the book of Ruth is all about. And as we've already discovered, the book of Ruth is a book of redemption, isn't it? It's a book about taking the empty womb of Naomi and filling that womb, ultimately, figuratively, obviously, through Obed, but, but filling the womb and Naomi being, being somehow included, not forgotten, brought back into the very promises of God and her family name being remembered. But it's even more than that. It's about the bloodline of Jesus that comes through Judah and down through Boaz and through Boaz and Ruth and ultimately through King David. It's about the redemption of the entire world. We are seeing that the redemption of plan of God is intricately intertwined with this idea of covenant connectedness like marriage. You understand? There's a leaving. I want you to turn to, uh, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Have you heard about this fellow Abraham before? You know, Abraham is considered the father of our faith, right? Because he was the first one, I mean, we, we, have, we have all the, the, the pre-flood guys. We have Enoch. We have, uh, you know, we obviously have Adam and Seth. But, but then we, and we have Noah and his sons. But honestly, the, the gospel story really comes into full focus with the, the emergence of Abraham on the scene. And take a look at 
Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, this is the beginning, okay? This is the very beginning. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. What are we seeing here? And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who disowns you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What are we seeing here? We're seeing a marriage covenant with God that Abraham makes. He leaves his father and mother, leaves his lands for the call of the Lord. This is the same thing that happens with the entire nation of Israel. They leave Pharaoh. They leave Egypt. They go through the Red Sea into the wilderness where they are called away to God, where he takes them from there into a promised land. Can you see the trajectory? It's the same thing all along. It's never been any different. What must we do to inherit eternal life? Well, as it turns out, we have to leave where we came from and go to a new place. We have to leave our father and mother and our earthly, our earthly origins, and we have to enter into a new covenant with a new identity. Jesus put it this way. He says, you must be born again. What does it mean to be born again? Well, you have a different family. You're no longer associated with the family you once were part of. And what does, that, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that we're all going to become some great cult now where we leave a literal father and mother and, and, and so forth. It is a conceptual thing. We are no longer identified by our earthly heritage, but we are given a new birth into a new culture, the, the culture of heaven, God's culture. We are no longer citizens of this earth. We are citizens of the eternal kingdom of our God and of his Christ. And that changes everything. And this isn't a new thing from the New Testament. This is as old as the Old Testament. This is as old as the book of Ruth. This is as old as the book of Genesis. It's as old as Genesis chapter 2. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined together. Well, what significance is that? I was looking through the book of Ruth again, and chapter 2, which we read last week out loud here in the service, uh, also has one of those uh, chiastic structures in it, shockingly. The book of Ruth is full of these things, and it's, and it's really wonderful. Literary structure, which I explained last time, is this kind of pattern where you see uh, mirrored ideas, beginning of the passage, the end of the passage, and then they sort of work their way towards the middle. And I'm not going to get into this complicated structure for chapter 2, but suffice it to say that the, that the, the, the lamb in the sandwich, the meat in the middle, is, uh, is actually found in verse 11. But, um, but I'm going to read to you uh, from verse Ooh, what is this? Verse 8. There's those eyes again. I need my glasses, I think. Or I need a Bible with bigger print. Verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one. Now we know that she's already left one place and she's come to another. And uh, she is totally committed to her mother-in-law and to her mother-in-law's God. She has made a firm commitment, and she is now Yahweh's daughter. 
But she comes to this place where she sort of accidentally stumbles across the field of Boaz, who happens to be a kinsman redeemer. And now, after conversation with him, uh, this, is, this is her first conversation, actually. Uh, Boaz begins speaking to her here in this verse, and he says, Do not go. Remember, we've had, we've had the, the commandment to, to go, but now we have the commandment to not go. There is a going, and then there is a staying in, in our gospel understanding. We have to go out from where we once were, but we have to come into where God is. And we have to make a commitment to stay with Him. And there are many, many enticements to pull us away from Him. This story is, of course, about Boaz and Ruth, but I maybe would just challenge you to think about it in some way as a metaphor of Christ and His church. And we have come into the, the Lord's promise, but we are to draw near to the Lord Himself. And uh, unlike the rich young ruler, we, are, we need to be able to recognize that we need to stay with, with, with Christ. Christ has called us, and it's going to potentially cost us everything we have. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to actually leave in order to actually stay? Anyway. Now listen, my daughter, do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Oh, there's so many sermons could be preached on this right here, but I don't have time for that. Uh, have I not charged the young men not to touch you? If you read, by the way, at the end of the book of Judges, uh, it is incredibly dangerous for Ruth to be doing what she is doing in the kind of culture we read about at the end of the book of Judges. My word, that's bad, bad stuff. But Boaz has instructed his men not to touch her. And I'd imagine it came with a pretty stiff warning. If you touch her, I'm going to touch you. And, um, and so they are going to leave her alone. Stay with them, he says. And uh, it, when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Listen, uh, young people, when we come to Jesus, young and old alike, when we come to Jesus, it's, we need to make a commitment to drink from the well that he draws, not from other wells. Listen, there's an exclusivity to our relationship that even God had with his people in Sinai. And the reason why there was so much murmuring and complaining was because they kept getting drawn away by enticements elsewhere. And God, God's frustration with them was demonstrated for sure because these people couldn't stop complaining about this and that. Let us not be like those in the wilderness who complained about all things, but let us draw near to the Lord and accept what he has for us. Let us give up what we thought made us rich and come to him and drink from the well that he has drawn. Uh, drink from the water that he's drawn from his well. And let's be satisfied with that because it is to our advantage. If you leave and you cleave, You will bear fruit for the kingdom. When you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, what have I, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? This is very different from the rich young ruler, isn't it? The rich young ruler says, What do I still need to do to get your attention, Jesus? Ruth is saying, how did I find your favor? This is a different story, isn't it? We're going to find out. 
Not only is he taking notice of her, but she's also a foreigner. He shouldn't be taking any notice of her. It is forbidden for the children of Israel to marry Moabites. Forbidden. You remember the story of Balaam and the donkey? Yeah, that's Moabites. Moabites and the Midianites, the elders of both, came together to try and hire someone to curse the children of Israel when they came through. They did not show up with bread and water for them in the wilderness. And so they were cursed, the Moabites. They tried to curse Israel. Whoever curses you, I will curse, God said. So the Moabites tried to curse Israel. They got cursed themselves. Prohibition in the book of Leviticus. No Moabite can ever come into the presence of the Lord. None, ever. You know, with the Egyptians and the Edomites, the third generation, they can come in. No Moabite ever. And then it gets amended to the 10th generation. Interesting. And yet Ruth is a Moabitess. And somehow she's going to be included in the story in the most miraculous and amazing way. So she says, I'm a foreigner. I'm a Moabite. Moabitess, how is it that you take notice of me? Here's how and here's why. And church, this is why God pays attention to us. And this is the only reason why God will pay attention to us. Listen carefully to what I'm saying. All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. How you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. What does that sound like? Sounds like Abraham. Sounds like marriage. Ruth has already committed with marriage level covenant loyalty as a widow with no husband. Are you waiting until you've got it all together before you show your loyalty? to God? Are you waiting until all the ducks are lined up before you show your loyalty to God? Are you waiting for God to answer all your prayers and say, well, when the right one comes, I'll show myself loyal? That's not what she did. And that's not the gospel. That message is self-serving, self-seeking, and ultimately adulterous. That is not the kind of covenant commitment which God has told us from the very beginning we need to have. If we want to be part of God's royal, holy nation. If we want to be a part of God's special, set-apart people, we need to make loyal covenant commitment with Jesus even while we have nothing. Wow. Wow. Kind of makes you want to repent, doesn't it? Doesn't it make you want to fall on your knees and call out to God and say, I'm so sorry, Lord. I have not demonstrated this covenant commitment. I keep lying to myself and telling myself that when everything all lines up, I'll do it right. When I've got enough hours in the day, then I'll do it. When I've got enough money, I'll, I'll give my tithes. When I've, when I've got the right person, I'll be faithful. When I, I don't know. You play out the details. Are we just like that rich young ruler? We've done all the necessary things to make us Jewish. <laughs> Legally identify ourselves as a Christian. But we're not married to God. 
Let this break your heart, my friends. Ruth, a foreigner, demonstrates a loyalty that even God's own people could not demonstrate. My God, what a story. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Have you guys read Psalm 91? Oh, how we love to claim Psalm 91 for ourselves. <laughs> Psalm 91, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Psalm 91 is known as the soldier's prayer. It's the one that talks about how we delivered from the snare of the fowler and how the pestilence won't come near us and how God will be faithful like a shield around about us. The, the soldier's prayer, the soldier's promise, and we hold on to it with all that we have. But let me just tell you, Psalm 91 is not ours to claim unless we've come to seek protection under the wings of the Almighty. How did Ruth come to find herself under the wings of the Almighty? Well, she made a covenant commitment of loyalty to her mother-in-law. How does that actually even work? It means she, here's how it works. She was willing to give up everything that gave her personal identity, everything that gave her a predictable future, everything that gave her some sense of, of, of connectedness and, 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 and ownership. She was willing to give it all up to fulfill an obligation to another person because the heart of the law was already inside of her. The spirit of the law of God was inside of her. She wasn't trying to find out how she can check the box and still do what she wanted. She read the spirit of the law, which said, treat others even better than you do yourself. Love others with the kind of love with which you love yourself. Be committed because that is righteous. Listen, you read through the book of Judges and you discover that these people were not righteous. Ruth shows up. The very righteous people themselves with the righteousness they themselves are not willing to do. And Boaz recognizes that in this woman. And that's why he's able to speak to her and to call her a woman of valor. In chapter 3, he calls her a mighty woman of valor. It's said of him in chapter 2 and verse and verse 1, or, or uh, wherever it is, a, a worthy man. This word worthy man, it's the same word that's used of Gideon. Boaz is a worthy man. He is a man of valor. A mighty man of valor is how it's translated in the Gideon story. It's exactly the same word, and it's used of Ruth here as well. It's the same word that's used in Psalm, in Proverbs 31 to speak about the noble woman. It's the kind of thing that God is looking for in his people. He's looking for us to be mighty men and women of valor. And how do we become that? By showing covenant loyalty in all of our interactions. And the interactions that Ruth has here are not to Yahweh, they're to her mother-in-law. That means covenant relationship for us should be to our, our family, to our employers, covenant relationship in our communities, in our church, with our children, with our grandchildren. Covenant community means we treat everybody with the same kind of kindness that God has treated us with.
That's what God's looking for in his kingdom. That's what gives us favor with the Lord. That's what makes us children of God. When we show loyalty and faithfulness to his covenant, because every time we treat somebody else like that, we're treating God like that. However you treat the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Have you not read in Matthew how Jesus says he'll separate out the sheep from the goats? I want to finish with Psalm 45. I'm sorry I've taken a little extra time. I got a bit passionate. Is that okay? Are you guys all right? I'm going to read you just a couple of verses out of Psalm 45, and we'll be done for the day. So I think three minutes or less, and, uh, and we'll be done. Thank you for your patience in that. Those of you who are watching online, appreciate you. Psalm 45, one of my favorite scriptures. It's a, it's a, a song. It's written to the tune of the lilies. It's a masculine of the sons of Korah. It's a love song, and it's a, it's a love song during a, during a wedding. It's a wedding between the king and his bride. So it has messianic overtones. It also has a great uh, deal of, of um, import for us as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is one verse in verse 10, which is really profound. And, uh, and it'll be where we wrap up today. Listen to this, verse 10. Hear, O daughter, and consider. Incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house. And the king will desire your beauty. Since he is your Lord, bow to him. This is a strong admonition for the bride of Christ. It's time for us to, time for us to forget where we came from. It's time for us to lose our ties with the world. It's time for us to cut off those ties and to and to head out into the deep waters with Jesus. He's calling us like the Song of Solomon, come away with, my, with me, my beloved. The winter is over. Spring has come. Come away with me. He's drawing us out of our worldliness. Come ye out from amongst them and be ye separate. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Even as I am holy, be ye holy, he says to us. He is wooing us as a people. He is wooing us as his nation. He is wooing us as his bride. It's time for us to lose our attachments to, world, to the world and, the, and the, the ways of the world, the pleasures of the world, the system of the world. How much is it going to take to persuade you, camel? That you've got to shed all of your wares to pass through the eye of that needle. Do you want the king to desire your beauty? I do. Do you want him to show up in your services, church? With grace and healing. Do you want him to demonstrate his saving power and reach the community around you do you want the glory of the lord to be manifested in your generation not just read about it from somewhere else do you yearn for god to work in your midst to rescue your children and your children's children
then forget your people and your nation where you come from. And become children of the King of all kings. Where you go, I will go, Lord. Where you stay, I will stay. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Where you live, I will live. Where you die, I will die. I will die on a cross. And there I will be buried. Father, our hearts are deeply stirred. Holy Spirit, it is your work to convict us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Work freely in our hearts, O Lord. Let us not be like King Saul, who refused to repent, but let us be like David, who, when confronted with his sin, fell on his face before God and said, I have sinned before you alone. A broken spirit and a contrite heart you will not despise, O Lord. May our hearts be contrite before you. Forgive us, for we have sinned. We have loved the world more than we should. We have shared our loyalties. Today we commit to you, Jesus. Amen.